make him laugh, make him laugh Bet you all tired of hearing the constant blather In the end, you just wanna know that laughing matters From entrepreneurs to Fortune 500 Humor makes the world go round You didn't know? It's a fit for a pro Like a roll with spaghetti To keep your culture light when times are heavy So sit back and relax as you raise the bar When it all comes down to the ha 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 Yeah, make him laugh, make him laugh, huh? You make him laugh, make him laugh uh, hello, everyone. I'm Steve Cody, uh, co-host of Laughing Matters, joined, as always, by the, what would you be, the Baron of North Carolina, the Prince of the Outer Banks? How best to describe you, Paul? Baron sounds good. Uh, Michael Jordan obviously played in North Carolina, and then he played for the Birmingham Barons when he played baseball for, for a right. summer. So I like the Baron designation. Thank you. It's it's great to be here on another another episode of the uh, still to be unmatched Laughing Matters podcast, Steve. And the world's a better place because it hasn't been matched. It really That's right. <laughs> Our guest today is a renowned author whose focus is to help leaders find clarity in uncertainty, drive innovation, and achieve breakthrough results. He is president of Let's Grow Leaders, an organization known for practical tools and leadership development programs that stick. He's worked with leaders on every continent except Antarctica through leadership development programs, executive strategic planning, and keynote presentations. His latest book is called Powerful Phrases for Dealing with Workplace Conflicts, which he co-authors with his partner, Karen Hurt. Paul and I are really pleased to welcome David Dye to the Laughing Matters podcast. David? It's my pleasure to be here. I'm I'm think I need a designation too, but Outer Banks Baron is kind of cool. I like that one. Yeah, his title changes with each new podcast. We go That's with fair. a different. Keep he's it been, fresh. Yeah, he's been regal from day one, though. David. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so first question for you: um, Your recent book's all about finding uh, the most effective way of reducing workplace conflicts. Can humor play a role in diffusing some of those conflicts? Of course, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I would uh, say in setting the stage when we're talking about workplace conflict is not all conflict's bad. I mean, at some point, conflict with laughing matters. I love the name of the show, by the way. At, at some point, like conflict is in the heart of comedy, too. There's our expectation and it goes a different direction and, and all of that. But uh, in the workplace, there's healthy, productive conflict that leads to creativity, innovation, new solutions, moves us forward and creates the future. And then there's the destructive conflict that, that doesn't do any of that and tears people down and, and makes all of the, the good stuff harder. So humor absolutely has a role to play in helping trans, translate us, move us from that destructive to productive conflict. Got it. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you, you don't think of conflict as being like a positive. Most of the time, there's such a negative connotation to it. But obviously, you were able to research a ton of different types of conflicts for your book. I think you mentioned you interviewed 5,000 people, or that's over 5,000 people to get the context that you needed for this book. We wanted to ask you if you came across any interesting examples uh, of how people use humor, lightheartedness, levity in order to resolve issues in the workplace. And, and did you see any, uh, any changes to the approach across the multiple geographies that you surveyed? You know, that's a, so many good questions there. So uh, 5,000 people across 45 plus 46 different countries. And we were, the reason we did this research was it's one thing for us, what do we think about conflict? Uh, but we wanted to know what was happening in the world of work today, especially post pandemic. So we asked people, are you experiencing more or less conflict uh, and why? 
what are some of the sources of that kind of conflict if you're experiencing more? But then we asked, getting to your question, tell us about one of the biggest conflicts you've had in your career. And they, the those ran the gamut. And some of them are quite funny. You know, what what's the old saw in comedy, like tragedy plus time? <laughs> you know, so like <laughs> some of them, looking back in the writing, the person you could tell, like, yeah, this was 20 years ago, and it was the biggest thing then, and it was, oh my gosh, horrible, but now it's funny. And that sense of perspective, when the final question we asked people was, if you could go back and give your earlier self one piece of advice, what would it be? And it was fascinating. 55% of folks said, oh, gosh, if I could go back, I'd tell myself to be more patient, be more calm, have more perspective, uh, all things related to, to comedy. And then another 21% said, I'd encourage myself to talk about it. And so fully three quarters of, of those 5,000 people said, be calm, be patient, have that perspective and talk about it. And so the role of humor in that, one of the things that was funny was some of the advice that people did say that they'd give themselves in the middle of this tense situation with their boss. What would your advice to yourself be? Bake a cake. Nice. Or, or one uh, individual from Russia, you're asking about geographic differences. Yeah, the yeah. number of vodka-related solutions from <laughs> Russian respondents was much higher than the rest of the population. Ah, not surprising. And I would guess uh, North Carolinians like Paul would probably have answered bourbon. Or tea, surprise. Or tea. Okay. Or tea, yes. Uh, you know, let's have a yes. sweet tea together and oh, a sweet uh, tea. We'll, Got we'll work it out. Yeah. Got it. But sweet, sweet barbecue too. Our barbecue with like vinegar down here, like as, as an additive, really helps. You know. But uh, interesting to hear about the baking, Steve. I mean, you're you're an avid baker, right? I think I might have tasted a couple of cookies that you made at one point. Or you're confusing me with my doppelganger from Germany. That's not me, Paul. <laughs> That's not me. Getting back to our guest, David. Uh, it's often said that one's workplace culture reflects one's leaders or leadership. Can you share a few leadership traits you think the C-suite should employ to create an environment that could reduce the risk or incidence of workplace conflicts? That is such a good question. And when I think about this, particularly in the context of comedy and, and humor and laughter in the workplace, um, I think of a CEO that I worked for, and I mean, this was decades back, and I will never forget him storming down the hall into my office, and they're laughing in the break room. Don't they know how important this is? Whatever the cause du jour of the day was, whatever the, the pressing matter. And how heartbroken I was for, for him. I was the chief operating officer, so I had some influence over culture. And I was very happy people were laughing. We want people laughing. It's a good workplace, right? <laughs> but oh my goodness, uh, the culture that was emanating from him in the middle of all of that stress and anxiety and everything that was happening there. And so the you're absolutely right. Culture flows from, from leadership. It's what people like us do. And so people model what they see in their leaders. So the first thing that I think any executive, any leader at any level is responsible for in this context, lead yourself. You have to manage your own frustrations, anxiety, stress, all of those things that are very real. And of course, humor has such a role to play in that. For me, I know when I am having a lot of that kind of stress and I've had some over the last couple of weeks and knowing we're talking about it today, I'm like, I better handle myself here, you know, uh, but perspective and knowing that in 20 years from now, whatever it is I'm stressed out about today, like let's have some perspective and be able to laugh about it and keep it in context. So one, one question, follow up quick question I had is, um, is about leaders who lead by fear. 
and there have been God knows how many business books, God knows how many leadership books. Are these people who still manage by fear illiterate? Have they not read the <laughs> books? I mean, what what's going on? Why is there still so much fear emanating from the corner office? Oh, Steve, I love that question so much. It's actually a question I tried to answer in the very first book I ever wrote. And uh, and I still think those answers are true for leaders who lead that way. I, I would say, fortunately, I think there are fewer of them today, but they are still there. Why? A couple yeah. reasons. One is it works. It, it unfortunately works. So it's a self-reinforcing thing. So if I yell and say jump and people jump, and I'm like, well, that worked. I guess I'll do it again. And then the problem is it has a dim diminishing returns. So the next time and the fourth time, the fifth time you do it, people don't jump as high. So you yell louder and use more fear. And if you don't, I'm going to, right? And so it's this diminishing returns of treating people like objects and using fear and all that. So then that stresses out the leader. They get more fear-based and more fearful because they're not getting the results. Uh, so it's kind of a, a trap. So that's one reason is it works to a certain extent. Uh, there's other reasons, biology. Uh, you know, when we're faced with a problem, with a, a fearful situation, I got to get this done. I don't know what I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm, where's our amygdala go? Freeze, fight, flight, you know, all those kinds of things, which is great if you're facing a bear, not so good if you're trying to get something done at, with a team, right? And so we've got that. Yeah. And then we've got our sociology, which is a lot of people, that's what they've learned and what they've seen from other people. And we still have many prominent leaders who, who do that. And you know, books written on that kind of thing. Our first book that Karen and I wrote together was called Winning Well, and it's a little bit of a contradiction right. to Jack Welch's winning. Yeah. Let's not line people up and humiliate them and wipe out the bottom 20% just because. Yeah. Like, let's. It's not a, an effective way to build culture. Yeah, it's funny. Also, because Steve knows fear really well, being a, a Mets fan, I think there's nothing scarier than that, Steve. So I'm glad that you can, uh, there, can there, understand there, that. You know? there, actually, there actually is, Paul. It's being a Jets fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And you have both 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 in your repertoire. But uh, anyways, uh, humor. This this is wonderful, David. We're talking about this because you're you're talking about the uh, the, the notion of kind of laughing at at things, laughing at the conflicts, right? Um, unfortunately, there are so many conflicts conflicts that are happening nowadays that seem to be uh, almost uh, those that you don't feel like you can laugh about. It seems like to me, at least, right, to me and Steve, that a lot of the workplace arguments and conflicts have shifted to be less about job-related stress and more about personal opinions on hot-button issues. Right now, we have just uh, devastating wars going on in Gaza and the Ukraine, all these other domestic topics that are being debated in the, U the U.S. election next year. Uh, do you think there's a different way to cope with these deeper types of ideological differences other than just, oh, let's just avoid talking about politics in the workplace? I mean, how, how do you confront something that, on, on the surface, really, you can't use humor, really, to, to deflate it? Right. One of the the aspects and the reasons for some of the increase in workplace conflict that you're seeing today, and by the way, our, our survey came across globally, it's 70% are experiencing more or the same or greater degree of workplace conflict. And this is certainly a contributing factor, uh, which is, a, it's a symptom of something positive, which let's point that out first, is that we're creating workplaces where more and more we want people to bring their full self to work, which is a net positive but we're still figuring out how to do that well. And so when we bring our full selves and all of our opinions and, and the pol polar polarity, polarization that stems from social media and then bubbling and all that kind of thing and the, the, the echo chambers and all, when we bring that to work, we still need to figure out how to have our opinions and perspectives and things and, and do all that and have those conversations. And so in the book, we actually have 300 plus phrases in 
powerful phrases for dealing with workplace conflict to help you navigate those. So on this topic, uh, we have a chapter specifically for powerful phrases for when others see the world differently than you do. Mm. And, you know, so some just some some phrases you can use to get those conversations going or work through them, you know, starting with, you know, I'm really struggling with this. I need some time uh, that acknowledges them, doesn't tell them they're wrong, just to, and it acknowledges you and you get and mm. create some separation, some boundary. It's not that we're not going to talk about it. It's just right. I'm acknowledging I need some time. Um, one of my favorite, and this is a, a, a powerful one for all sorts of conversations, is to start with my intention for this conversation is. My intention for this conversation is not to change Steve's mind about the Jets. All right. That's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. I, my intention for this conversation is I would like to share some of my enthusiasm for the Broncos. You know, they've had a good turnaround this year. Right. Um, my And then another one, I've noticed that we have different perspectives and I'd love to learn more. Uh, it with to approach it with genuine curiosity. So we talk about four dimensions of workplace conflict, which are connection. Do we know each other as human beings? I can accommodate a difference in a worldview if I know that person as a human being. That okay, they're not a complete idiot. They actually care about a lot of the same things we care about, but they see this one differently. And maybe I can learn something from that. I never have to agree with it, and they don't have to change my mind about mine. But what can I learn from that perspective? And so if I can approach that with curiosity, so connection, clarity, shared understanding of what success is, curiosity, genuine openness to one another's perspective, asking questions, and then commitment, having a shared agreement about what we do moving forward. And something like this might be, hey, listen, I don't expect either of us to change our minds about this. Can we agree to X, Y, or Z? Right. And I've had some of those conversations with people who see the world very differently than I do. I'm not going to change their mind. I don't think I'll ever see it the way they do. But it is possible to coexist and work productively together. Hey, question for you on the uh, the survey, the 5000 survey respondents. And forgive me, I forget how many different countries. But would it be fair of me to ask what were the top three and the bottom three countries? <laughs> uh, it would be fair. So. Uh, I'm going to qualify it from the, I put my analytic hat, my nerd hat on and say, uh, I'm going to talk about those with enough sample size to make the, the data meaningful. Um, so at the top of the list, in terms of those experiencing the most, uh, more most uh, increase in workplace conflict, Germany tops that list. India tops that list. Uh, India actually had the highest percent say more, that they had almost half of their respondents said they're experiencing more. Um, and the lowest percent saying it's it's less. Um, the U.S. was high on the list. Um, overall, like compare U.S. to global, and the U.S. had an overall net positive uh, for sure, like 71%, where um, the, the uh, global was like 68%. So the U.S. was trended a little bit higher than the rest of the world. Um, Singapore and France, interestingly, were also high on the higher end. I would not have expected that from Singapore, yeah. but but there it was. Um, and on the lower end, uh, Canada, which, hey, you know, follow the cliche, right? But uh, still uh, saying more, but it was less more than some of the others like the U.S. and Germany. Uh, who else was low? Um, South Africa was another one that was on the lower end. Um, everybody experiencing more overall, same or more. But those yeah. were some smaller sure. 
I, I would have guessed, I, I think it was last year, Finland was named the happiest country in the world. So you don't have to look into the results. I'm just curious. Maybe as a follow up, you could tell me where where Finland ended up in the list. Fin- Finland is a it was a, in our research, a number of respondents. We did get some Finnish responses, but too small to I yeah. can't speak for the, the country of Finland right. as a whole. Yeah. Well, well, Finland in, in uh, some of the origin stories from the modern Christmas movies is supposed to be the birthplace of Santa. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that they would have a happy tradition, right? There you go. Uh, but you Santa watch some of those old uh, Rankin Bass. Uh, there's a lot of conflict at the North Pole. If I watch that old true. Rudolph. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Time. Even among the, the, the reindeer, they did not get along. They did not play nice. No, they yeah. did not. There's yeah, some work to do. Exactly. Well, they should read your book and then bring you up for a leadership. Uh, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned we haven't worked with anybody in Antarctica. I have also not worked with anybody in the North Pole. So I got to put that on the mm. list. Right. But that's not a continent, is it? Or is it? No, no I didn't think not. so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, completely changing subjects here, David. So um, looking back, can you share with um, our listeners? And there are Paul has four children. So we have four listeners. Yeah. Um, four. yeah. Can you foreign growing? Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed on that, Paul. Can you share with us uh, your um, your own personal cringeworthy or embarrassing moment about a workplace conflict that you can laugh about now? <laughs> oh gosh, there are so many. Um, <laughs> I I am thinking of I, I've got two. One that is more funny, and and one is more maybe a learning moment uh, that that was important for me. So I'm going to do the funny one. Uh, first, uh, I was early in my consulting career. I had a friend introduce me to a, uh, women's group of uh, Orthodox Jewish women, um, very conservative, but they had their own nonprofit doing work around some of their traditions. And he said, I really think you can help them. Some of my, my background and so on. Uh, so he brought me to a meeting with them to introduce me for them to interview me and so forth. And... (laughs) They uh, did their questions, asked something, and then they started speaking to one another in Hebrew. Well, I am neither Jewish nor do I speak Hebrew. So I listened politely. And at a certain point, the president of the organization said, sorry, we've been speaking Hebrew. And I said, it just popped out of my mouth. And you have to understand, I'm not normally like this. I said, yes, but you should hear it in the original Klingon. And <laughs> love it. where did that come from? Why did I do that? And uh, you know, I paused and, you know, your entire career flashes before your eyes. I'm like, well, I either just got this gig and won it on the basis of humor, or I'm about to be asked to leave <laughs> because I just oh, insulted everybody. And I don't know which, and that is so not like me, but there it is. Uh, did, uh, so are, were they Trekkie fans yeah. or not? I mean, they, you can't leave us hanging. They busted a gut. Oh, they okay. busted again. They cracked <laughs> up laughing, and I got the work, and it was a great engagement, and we we helped them do some good things. So I was one of those that was both cringeworthy and awesome at the same time. Right. Like, oh, yeah, like you yeah. said, it, it, it could have been risky though, right? Because you never know, right? Because if they weren't Trek fans, then I, it could have been horribly yeah. insulting. I still <laughs> am like, gosh, I don't know if I had that to do again. If I would, I didn't think it just popped out, and that's not like me, but. Um, so there's humor and cringe, right? All of the, all of the same thing, but it worked out. Uh, yeah. So another one that I, I look back on that I learned a lot from, but didn't do elegantly. I had a CEO early in my career with doing this marketing event. And I, uh, I was so frustrated the way he was doing. I thought this does not, this lacks integrity. I do not ethically feel comfortable with this. And I 
tossed and turned and stewed about it for four days until finally out of desperation, I was like, dude, you don't call your CEO dude, but I was, you know, I was not in my best self. I said, man, I, I can't do this. This lacks integrity. I can't do this. And to his credit, he said, David, I don't, I don't want you to, I don't see it that way, but I don't want you to violate your integrity. What do you think we can do? How do you think we can do this in a way that achieves the marketing goal and maintains your integrity? Oh, okay. Well, and then I suggested something. He's like, that sounds good. Let's do that. We did it. Boom. Problem solved. And it was, I did not handle it well. Didn't use any of the powerful phrases that we suggest, but it was such a lesson to me about the power of speaking up and the power of having the conversation. Because as long as I stayed silent and stayed stewing about all that, I was being self, my silence was selfish. I wasn't giving him a chance to do anything differently. Yeah, no, I was sorry to interrupt. I was going to say not only were you doing yourself a disservice, I would say your physical and mental health and well-being were also taking a beating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all I had to do was have the conversation, gave him an opportunity to make a different choice. Doesn't guarantee it. You know, when I share, I'll share that story sometimes and ask audiences, Mm -hmm. like, what do you think happened? And half of them are like, you got fired. Right. Because that's what we imagine. We imagine like you don't say you don't contradict the CEO. Yeah. No, if you had done that with me, you would have been fired. David. Exactly. See? Yeah. We all know. Yeah. Steve has fired me on a couple of occasions. So, but I'm back. I'm, I'm here. Uh, well, you've been, but you, been regal, regal from the yeah, beginning. So that regal helps. and, and, and bar- baronific. Um, but yeah, Dave, I was going to mention that it's, it's also such a lesson learned in how your boss responded at that moment, because he could have taken a completely different approach. And as we talked about, there are so many leaders that still aren't able to really take a step back and maybe, all right, laugh at themselves a little bit or say, let's have this conversation. Right. So I think to his credit, um, you, you learned a lot from that, from, from his leadership as well. You know, I really did. I really did. Yeah. yeah. Last question for you. Uh, wanted to see if you could share with us, with our listeners, what you think the three greatest benefits uh, for are for an organization that embraces humor and, and laughter. It's just more fun to do, do your work. Like I think there, as I think about an atmosphere of laughter and fun and it, it leads to better ideas, I think, because we're more free in our creativity and, things flow and not all clenched and tight. And, and at least when I'm like that, nothing's flowing, you know? Yeah. So, it, so it gets the free flow of ideas, creativity. Uh, it's more attractive. I think it's going to help with both attracting uh, staff, people, talent, uh, as well yeah. as retaining those people. So I don't know if that counts as one or two, but yeah. um, so we got creativity, we got attraction of talent, we got retention of talent. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned earlier the, the, I think the health benefits of not like, what was I doing to my own (laughs) health and wellness? And that CEO I mentioned earlier, who's like, why are people laughing? Like what was going on for him? Right. The, you know, that, uh, the, there's the actual health and wellness benefits of being able to laugh and, and it's such a release and, and, you know, cuts the tension and makes our body better in so many ways. Paul's question was actually the penultimate one. Um, is yeah. there a question we haven't asked that we should have? Do I speak Klingon? <laughs> the, the answer the answer is no, I do not. But if I were being serious, I uh, no, I mean, this has been great questions and I, I really enjoy the conversation and I'd love for people to take advantage of all that you you offer in, in the humor and to take advantage of the powerful phrases and uh, you know, get a copy of the book and really, you know, my bottom line for anybody listening is if you're thinking about any kind of workplace conflict you're having, 
Uh, you may not be able to lead with humor. Humor helps establish the relationship and you have to be contextually appropriate depending on like we were talking about earlier, but have the conversation. And if you can have the conversation, you open the door to possibilities that didn't exist before that. Great stuff, David. Thanks so much for joining us today. Again, David's latest book is called Powerful Phrases for Dealing with Workplace Conflict, which he co-authors with his partner, Karen Hurd. David, thanks so much for your time and, and insights and Klingon speak. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I had some Klingon to offer, but it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much, David. Thanks.